0: Um, my name's Laura Bevel. If you, if you don't know me, um, I became a believer a Christ Follower when I was eight years old um, down in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And I think pretty much since then, I've been a student of God's Word in one way or another. I can remember even as a child desiring to know the Bible and, and excelling in that, a little bit of a competitive nature kind of thing, you know. But also then as a teenager, just seeking out um, pastors and teachers in the church to help me know God in his word. Um, I haven't always been real successful at it. And I, I really think that I was probably close to 40 years old before I really learned how to do personal Bible study. So um, that's kind of, I think that's kind of sad, but the Lord knows all about that. I've been teaching the Bible now for about 32 years. Um, through Sunday school classes and other um, Bible studies and other opportunities the Lord has given me, and I am delighted to share with you today. Although I have to say, I'm pretty much a verse-by-verse kind of gal, and so covering 18 chapters this week and the rest of Exodus next week has been a little daunting for me, um, so it's it was a little stressful. The last time I taught Exodus in a Sunday school class, we were in it for a year. So, um, I felt like when, um, when Katie asked for the, a little bit of a break um, that I would end up coming in here and aiming a fire hose at you and asking you to try to just take in as much as you could. And, you know, I just thought that might not be very much fun for you. Um, might have been fun for me, <laughs> I don't know, but, but it wouldn't have been fun for you. So I just began praying through, and as I know Katie does, and, and working on the lesson that we all shared today, um, at home over the last week, and so I've chosen to give you in lecture form today really what the Lord has given me, um, what he kept bringing to my mind as I read the chapters and worked on the lesson, and so that's what you're going to hear today, and um, so I'll, I'm going to miss some of those details, and um, but you're going to get a, a broad brush stroke um, with this lecture. So before we begin, let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have given us your word, that um, from the beginning of time you have pursued people and you have sought to be in relationship with them, and then you inspired this word that we have today, and so Lord, we thank you for it and we praise you for it, and we pray that as we open the pages of the book of Exodus today that your Holy Spirit will be our teacher that what we do here today will draw us closer to yourself. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart and all of our hearts this morning will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our salvation. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In Genesis that we just finished, we traced or followed the thread of redemption beginning with creation through the fall. We referred lots of times back to um, chapter 3 and 15 and the the prophecy going forward for the serpent crusher. And we saw God establish that covenant, that Abrahamic covenant with Abram, Abraham, and then his descendants, um, Isaac, and then Jacob. Um, He established this people as his own. He also established a place for them. Um, and he gave it to Abraham, and, um, and then we will see through Exodus that the people will finally return there. God also pronounced that the people would be a blessing to the nations. And I think that's another part of um, the narrative in Exodus that we want to see happen, or really all throughout Old Testament and New Testament, is how will God's people be a blessing to the nations? So our narrative in in Genesis ended with Jacob, now called Israel, and his 12 sons and their offspring moving to Egypt. We saw God's sovereignty and man's responsibility all along the way. And we praised God together for his might and his mercy, his love, his sustaining power, and all the ways that he worked through the book of Genesis. And finally, when we read Joseph's words to his brothers at the end of the book. He says to them, you met evil for me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Don't you just love those two words, but God? In a way, I think the book of Exodus is a big but God um, in scripture. As Exodus unfolds, we see the family of Jacob. Israel has now become a great nation. If you will, our thread that we're tracing has now become a big tapestry for a while as we're looking at this huge nation of people. Look with me in chapter 1, verse 7. You read it today already, surely. But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. Yes, the land was filled with the Hebrews. If you go back a couple of pages to Genesis 46.3, we're reminded where God says to Jacob, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. And I will go down with you to Egypt. And then he says, I will surely bring you up again. So you can kind of see why Exodus, the book, has been called Genesis 2 by some people or a sequel to Genesis or second Genesis. I've never heard that until I started studying on this. Exodus was just always Exodus. But some Bible scholars just feel like that flow from Genesis right into Exodus almost makes it um, a sequel. But the word Exodus in Hebrew means departure. It could um, also going out or going forth. And so certainly the theme of the book is deliverance and redemption. I chose a particular outline for the book that I wanted to share with you today because I loved that it emphasized God's activity. Imagine in your book, in your Bible, if you have a study Bible, there's an outline of the book or something. There's a lot of um, outlines that will emphasize Israel, of course, or Moses. Um, You might have even actually had like maybe a sermon or teaching before about how to be a good leader based on Moses, you know, or something. I liked this outline because it focuses on God. And so I'm going to give it to you. It's pretty simple. Um, You'll see the redundancy um, rather quickly. But the first division in, in what we're going to cover today is God's gracious redemption of Israel. God's gracious redemption of Israel. And that's chapters 1 through 18. The second division is God's gracious covenant with Israel. So gracious redemption, gracious covenant with Israel. That's chapters 19 through 24. And then thirdly, God's gracious presence in the midst of Israel. And that's chapter 25 through 40. So God's gracious redemption of Israel, God's gracious covenant with Israel, God's gracious presence in Israel. In the midst of Israel, one of the commentators that I read said that Exodus is a quote self-contained narrative that progresses from Israel's filling of Egypt to Yahweh's filling the tabernacle, and I really liked that imagery. Um, um, kind of bookends the book. What I hope we leave here with today is an understanding that God works to make Himself known to His people. And to all the world. So let's read why Israel needs delivering. If you look right after 7 and verse 8, now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And everything that follows after that tells us exactly what was happening to them after they'd been there for centuries now. Um, generation upon generation have lived and prospered in the land of Goshen. Goshen, that fertile Nile Valley, was full of the Israelites. The Egyptians were kept separate from them. They looked down on them, so they didn't have a lot to do with them, and that just, you know, they could they maintain purity in their um, ethnicity and in their religion, and they grew and they prospered, and they were very successful. Um, so a new king arose who did not know the history of, of how basically Joseph, God, working through Joseph, had saved the world, had saved the nation of of Egypt and everyone in the known world from that horrible famine that came during the years of Joseph. So he arose, and in the eyes of this Pharaoh, the threat was real. He saw the number of Israelites in the land, and he felt that they could go to war with one of his enemies and perhaps take out the Egyptian people. And so um, even some scholars feel like that the Israelites were so numerous at this point that they did, in fact, outnumber the Egyptians, man for man. So yes, Israel had filled the land. (laughs) They very much had. So the Pharaoh, as we know, devises a partial extermination plan to control the population and eliminate the threat, kill the boys. And so in the midst of this dark time... At just the right time, you know. If if we get in, one of the other things to get out of Exodus is how God works in time to bring about His purposes and plan. So it's it's just the right time, as Katie brought out this morning in um, the leaders meeting. Egypt was the first superpower in the world, and so now this Pharaoh who is. The most powerful man in the world is over it and all their false gods and all the things that they did that were abhorrent to the one true God. And so in the fullness of time, at just the right time, God is acting in history to bring out his people and then also to pronounce judgment on this evil land. So a baby is born. This baby boy, this eventual man, would serve as the deliverer of his people this man would lead his people to freedom but this man this baby would need to be developed as a leader so in god's providence this baby is taken into the palace of the of the pharaoh and raised as a son and i want to park there for just a second and talk about god's providence are you familiar with that as one of his characteristics of one of the attributes of god his providence we I remember when I first started teaching Sunday school here that we were doing a study in Esther. And we had to study God's providence because the term was not real familiar. We don't A lot of times we don't use it a lot. Do you say you're lucky? I hope not. Do you say that's just a coincidence? I hope not. What you need to be saying is in God's providence, he has brought this about. Or in God's providence, he's allowed this to happen in my life. We can, we can go a lot of other ways with that, but it's basically God working behind the scenes to bring about his will. And so in God's providence, little baby Moses is in the river, and in God's providence, that Egyptian princess finds him and takes him home. And she raises him in such a way that he becomes the leader that God will use to bring his people out of slavery. He would receive the best that Egypt could offer in education and military training and cultural training, in language, in leadership skills. F.B. Meyer said this he said, The cream of all Egypt was poured into the cup of Moses. But yet, 80 years later, we find Moses in the desert in Midian tending sheep. Again, that's God's providence in working through the training and developing of this man that he is going to use to bring out his people. Now he's in the desert with sheep, and he's hurting them. I there's lessons in leadership there <laughs> that he is learning, too. So I want you to flip with me to chapter 3, verse 5, where Moses, at this time now, is going to have an encounter with the living God. So Moses, he um, God says to him, Moses, Moses, that re- repetitive use of his name. Moses replies, Here I am. And then in verse five, he said, God says, Do not come near. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then down, if you go down to verse 8, God tells him what he wants to do. First he says, I have come down to deliver them, talking about his people, the Israelites, I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land, to um, I'm sorry, to a land flowing with milk and honey. And then finally, skip down to 10. So he's talking to Moses. He says, therefore, Moses, therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring out my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. So God has a a commissioning ceremony, if you will, there with Moses where he is calling him to do this task to lead his people out. We talked about Moses asking, "Who shall I say is sending me?" Um, when he goes to the Israelites, and so he asks. He basically says, "What's your name? You know, who are you that's talking to me? this as God of my father Abraham." And so then God tells him his name. God tells Moses his name. His name for himself, which is an extremely rich in meaning and is very difficult for us as humans to get our heads around many times. What is God's name? He says, I am who I am, is his name. In the Hebrew, YHWH is his name. You're familiar that the Hebrews, the Israelites, would not say his name. They only wrote YHWH. They would not speak the name outside. So we, we don't have the vowel sounds. We don't know for sure exactly what it was. Now a day, scholars feel like that it is best translated Yahweh. There was a period of time where it was translated Jehovah, uh, but not so much anymore, the Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. It is God's name for himself. Um, And it is the name Lord, capital L, then capital O-R-D, in our Bibles. God's giving his name to Moses and to us conveys a major theme of scripture. God has a passion to be known by the world. He is a relevatory God. He's relational and he's relevatory. He reveals himself. He wants us to know him. One commentator said the content and results of this experiential knowledge differs between recipients. And he says, for example, in Exodus, whether it's Moses or Pharaoh, the Israelites or the Egyptians, they will all come to know the Lord. So again, what does Yahweh mean? One definition I read is that it's the sum total of is of his incommunicable attributes, so those attributes that belong to him alone. The sum total of his incommunicable attributes like his eternality, his immutability, meaning he doesn't change, his transcendence, his omnipotence, his omnipresence. All of those things that belong to God alone. It that sum total of those attributes and characteristics is I am who I am. It's pretty powerful. It it just puts it puts me in awe and wants to makes me want to praise him as that great God, that great God. In his book, what the authors or the book, I should say he's one of them, writers in it, Kenneth Turner, in the book, What the Old Testament Authors Really Cared About. He explored two additional ideas about the name that I want to share with you today. First, he says, Yahweh, the name, conveys the meaning or the idea of divine freedom. And he said, within the context of going in and being in Egypt, that this is very important or weighty, I think, for us to think about conveys the idea of divine freedom. God says, I am whoever I say I am. Let's think about that for a minute. He determines who he is. The Egyptians created their own gods. People throughout history from the ancient world up till this very day create their own gods. We man, we try to manipulate Those gods. We try to have control over those gods. The Egyptians did that, and people today do that. God says, I am whoever I say I am. He defines himself. No one defines God. When I read about this, it immediately reminded me in my own personal life how often I have to remind myself that He is God and I am not you know from from just the lives of my children and grandchildren to what i see happening in the world around me to the balance of my checkbook to whatever it is i'm constantly need to say to myself he is god and i am not and i felt like that that was what this definition meant for me is that he determines he is god he is sovereign i am not Is it not our nature to be gods to ourselves and others? It's easy to point to ancient cultures and condemn their false gods, but I believe we're a bit uneasy or even downright rebellious when it comes to figuring out the false gods in our own lives. Later in this book, within the plagues and in other other times in Israel's history, we're going to learn just how dangerous and deadly that can be when we don't uncover and expose those false gods for what they are. Well, a second idea that he brings up about Yahweh's name is that it conveys divine presence. And probably most of us got that in the lesson, I think, the, uh, the whole I am idea is that God is with his people. He is present. He, um, he is there. And so he, when he says, I am with you, I will be with you, um, then further, I will fight for you. I will bring you out. I am the God of your father, the Lord, your Lord God. Um, and so it's an affirmation of God's presence with his people, his being with his people. So Moses and the nation of Israel would come to know God more fully as time goes on, just as we all do, right? Hopefully. We should all come to know him more fully and more completely the more time and experience that we have with him. Um, They would get to know him not only as creator, but as covenant keeper, as provider, even in our text today. Um, They would come to know him as sustainer, as their warrior king. They would come to know him as faithful and true. They would come to know him as healer, and on and on. Rightfully, rightfully, so Israel's response was worship and praise. So my question to you this morning is what about you? What is your response to new revelation of who God is? How do you know him? What are all the different ways you know him? He he has all of these characteristics and attributes. How do you know him? By experience in each of these ways? I thought about the benefit of making a list. And at different times in my life, I've done that for different reasons as God reveals himself in in a new way um, to just think about the different ways that you know him. As Christians, we know him as as Savior. Um, We know him as Sovereign King. We know him as Creator. I mean, duh, right? We know him those ways. We know him as Healer we know him as sustainer persevering to help you persevere in your faith when it's weak he sustains us do we know him as provider Um, somebody shared this morning about the loss of a job Um, I have a similar story Um, John and I lost our business some of you all know this but in 2003 we went bankrupt and we saw God's provision after that in amazing ways that He provided for us even through this dark financial time of basically starting over again at <laughs> in your forties who wants to do that <laughs> financially but um but that's what happened, and God provided every step of the way. The interesting thing about the the story this morning what when it was shared is it came right back to me. Of how people came to us in that dark time in our lives and said to us, oh, Are you mad at God? You know, how could God let this happen to you all? You had such a great ministry through your business and you helped so many people. How could God let this happen to you? Or why would He let this happen? And immediately, thankfully, our response through experience with Him was to be able to say, As Job said to his wife in Job 2.10, Oh, you foolish woman, if we accept good from God, we must also accept adversity. And so coming to know God in that way in our lives is one of the ways that we know him as sustainer and provider and sovereign king and Lord in our lives. So I would challenge you to make that list, to just... The different ways in your journal or in the flyleaf of your Bible, how do you know him? And how has he um, revealed himself to you? Okay, so back to our text. What did the knowledge of God bring to Pharaoh and the Egyptians? If it brings all of this promise and faithfulness and mercy and all of this to, to the Israelites, what does it bring to the Egyptians? It brings humiliation, destruction, and death. Look in 5 2. This is uh, Moses going before Pharaoh. Oh, and these awful, awful words from Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And besides, he said, And besides, and besides, I will not let Israel go. That's what Pharaoh says. And over the next 10 chapters, Pharaoh and the Egyptians learn, they come to know of Yahweh's relationship and commitment to his people and how he will fulfill the promises that he made to Abraham. And the one particular that God said, Him who dishonors you, I will curse. And Egypt came to know that. To further illustrate God's desire to be known quickly, I want you to see these different texts. In 4-5, this is Moses being given the staff as a sign. And the, God says that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you, Moses. In 6-6-8, six, six through eight, God says, Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you... From their bondage, I will also redeem you. That's the first time redeem is used in scripture. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. In 7.5, he says, The Egyptians shall know I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. In 9.29, in the midst of the plagues, Moses says to Pharaoh, As soon as I go out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord, and the thunder will cease, and there will be no hail, and so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. Yes, God wants to be known. He will be known throughout all the earth. And then 11.7, when he's talking about that last plague, but against any of the sons of Israel, a dog will not even bark, he says, whether against man or beast, that you may understand or know how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. In 14:4, four, he says, "I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army." So they're getting they're getting judged in the sea, but God will be honored through that, Pharaoh and his army. And he says, "And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord." And then finally, one last verse um, in 14:30 30 through 31. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Yes, without a doubt, the Israelites and the Egyptians would come to know the Lord God. The plagues, as we know, were a battlefield, a battleground for the Lord God to show his power and might and authority in judgment over Pharaoh and the Egyptians and his sovereign right to rule his people. I do just want to quickly draw your attention to the last plague in particular. Um, the The tenth plague has special meaning for us as Christians. For Jews as well, but for us as Christians, we know the Passover was instituted that night among God's people before they left Egypt and has served as a memorial for the Jews. But the Passover for us also points us to Christ. In chapter 11, we're given, um, in verse 4, is where the commands start. Thus says the Lord about midnight, I am going out into the midst of Egypt. And all the firstborn of the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstone. All the firstborn cattle as well. So God, in the following verses, God tells Moses what the plague will be. And then he prescribes to Moses the protection from it for his people Israel. We know the blood of the spotless lamb. How it spilled on wooden timbers, and how it separates the faithful from God—I mean, the faithful from God—as he as the angel of death passes over the land in judgment. That night, all the firstborn of Egypt were killed, and Israel went out. Four hundred and thirty years had passed, and they were on the road to freedom. Old Pharaoh, with his hard heart, gives chase and causes Israel to shake in her boots. How quickly? But as Katie said this morning, what did you say? Miracles do not bring faith. Faith brings miracles. And so after everything they've witnessed, and they're on this way, and the Red Sea's in front of them, and they turn around, and they see the Egyptian army in pursuit, and they cry out in fear. And then we have this wonderful... um, two verses in 14, um, verses 13 and 14. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Israel had to learn that they must totally rely on God for their salvation, that there was nothing they could do. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Who needs to hear that today? Israel worships God in chapter 15, those verse 2 and 3, look at it real quick. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. So they worship having come to know him in this way. But then also in chapter 15, they grumble. How quickly they forget. They grumble in 15, they grumble in chapter 16, and they grumble in chapter 17. And yet the Lord provides, mercifully provides for his people. So reading all of this this week as you've raced through 18 chapters in Exodus, and hearing your friends talk this morning, what do you know? that you didn't know before. Lastly, let's look at 18, and this will close. 18, verses 8 through 11. You know the run-up to it. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, priest of Midian, has come out to meet them in the wilderness. Can you imagine the conversation of Moses saying, Daddy Jethro, or Pops, Pops, let me tell you what every, everything that's happened. And they sit down by the fire And he begins to relate to this man everything he's been through since the last time he saw Jethro. And so then we hear um, Jethro's response. So Moses told his father-in-law in in verse 8, All that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, God's people. All the hardship that had fallen, befallen them on the journey, and how the Lord had delivered them. Jethro rejoiced over all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel in delivering them from the hand of the Egyptians. So Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of Pharaoh, and who delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the others. In the fullness of time, at just the right time, God worked in history to free his people. And in the fullness of time, at just the right time, God sent his son to be the savior of the world. In Philippians 2, starting in chapter, I mean, verse 5, Have this attitude, we're told, in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him, And bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Yes, there will be a day when everyone, everyone will know he is the Lord. Every tongue will confess So again, how do you know him today? Is your experience with God that of redemption and forgiveness and mercy and grace and love? And then finally, who are you sharing those experiences with? (coughs) Whether it's your spouse or your friends or your children and grandchildren or your neighbors Who are you experiencing or sharing those experiences with? Because that's what we're called to do. Okay, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, again, we thank you that you have given us your word and that by it and through it, by the power of your spirit, we come to know you. Thank you, Lord, for that gift. And I pray, Father, that even as we think through the different ways you reveal yourself to us, that we will desire in the heart, in our heart of hearts, to know you more. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, ladies.